Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 1? We've come to verse 35. Hopefully we will finish out the chapter today. John's gospel is rather forthright. We have and have studied and have been introduced and continue to be introduced to the profound and yet simple beginning of the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. What we are studying in the context here takes place on four consecutive days. And we've already looked at the first two days. The first of those days was when the delegation came from Jerusalem to question John the Baptist regarding who he was. What was he doing? Why was he baptizing? The second day, John was preaching and Jesus came and John introduced Jesus by saying to the multitude, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So now we've come to the third day and you and I are watching the development of the Christian era and there's so much for us to learn uh, all across these, these verses here. Let me point out John chapter 20. John said, there, there, there are many things, but I've written these things, these signs, so that you can know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you might have life believing on his name. That's John chapter 20. That's near the end of John's gospel. We should remind ourselves that whenever we study any portion of John or John as a whole, the entire and complete purpose according to the Holy Spirit as he caused it to be pinned through the hand of John the Apostle is the salvation of those who read this gospel. My dad, who was a preacher for more than 60 years, used to order the Gospel of John in a little booklet, a little thing about fit in your pocket, and would give those away and had them available on the counter at the store where he owned the clothing business. And always enjoyed sharing the gospel of John. So as we study, we are looking at verses that the Holy Spirit through John has told us. This is the gathering of evidence and the presentation of the circumstances sufficient to lead us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So these things are, are built evangelistically as much as anything else in John's gospel. That said, we begin in verse 35 today 
On the next day, now this is the third day. On the next day, John was again standing. This is John the Baptist. And two of his disciples, we'll stop there. Many times when we think of John the Baptist, we, in our thoughts, we don't go any further than to think of him as a rugged wilderness guy who wore animal skins and ate locusts and honey and stood on the banks of the Jordan River screaming like an angry man that everybody was um, sinful and sinners and so forth. And I'm sure at least that's partially correct. Well, that's how he dressed. That's what he ate, the Bible said. But I'm also sure that he was a passionate preacher because he had a job. He had a calling from God. We have the account of his birth, especially in Luke's gospel, a very detailed account of the birth of John the Baptist. This unique character is the only one in the Bible who was privileged in his call to be the one to put a close to the Old Testament prophets and to be, be the beginning of New Testament preachers. He bridged the gap between Old and New Testaments. And in doing so, he is the only one whom the Spirit of God would reveal regarding the Christ of God. It was his job. Nobody else but John the Baptist's job to introduce the Messiah. I've told you earlier that according to prophecies in the Old Testament, the time frame of the gospel accounts fits exactly in the time frame of the appearance, the earthly appearance of the Messiah. So this is a very exciting time. John the Baptist wasn't just this kind of fiery preacher whose preaching brought many thousands of people into repentance and through the Jordan River into the baptism of John, which was specifically a Jewish thing. But John was also a teacher who had disciples. On the next day, John was again standing and two of his disciples, two of his disciples were standing with him. They had more than that. When you get over into the book of Acts, you'll find that, well, in, into other parts of the New Testament writings, there are still those who only knew the baptism of John. I think Apollos was one of those, uh, which that's later in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. But anyway, one thing we should understand is that John wasn't just a fiery preacher who looked like a rugged man from the wilderness. He was also a teacher and he had disciples. Now, what was he teaching them? He was teaching them exactly what God had prepared him to preach. This is the time in human history when God will himself accommodate himself to human flesh and step into the world that he might reveal himself in the only way that we can understand God. 
There is no other way to understand God except through his Christ. So this is God, and this is such a strong and powerful message that it has to be the focus of a unique preacher, namely John the Baptist. And this unique preacher would gather his disciples who happened to be ready for the appearance of Jesus when he was introduced by John. And part of John's teaching to his disciples is obvious in his preaching. Israel was not prepared for the Messiah. He would have spent his time teaching his disciples the Old Testament doctrine of the Messiah. The details of the Old Testament. Now, interestingly, the Old Testament presents to us in prophecy with regard to the Christ, the two comings of Christ. His first coming as a suffering servant who would die. Now, that wasn't very fashionable to think of your great king Messiah as one who would be put to death. But that's what the Old Testament taught. And without understanding the time frame between the two, the Old Testament also taught the glorious second coming of Christ, the king of kings, the king of the kingdom, who would establish the kingdom. Obviously, it was John's calling and work to teach his disciples the specifics of the Old Testament doctrine of the Christ. And John was one of the few Jews in his day who actually would delineate between the two comings because when he introduced the Christ of God, he did not say, behold, the king of kings who will establish the kingdom. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this is a, this is a teaching that had been avoided by other rabbis. But it was a significant portion of Old Testament scripture in the doctrine of the Christ. So the disciples of John would have understood that the Bible also taught that the Messiah would be a suffering servant. He would die as a lamb, Isaiah 53, for example. He would go to the slaughter, he'd keep his mouth shut, he would go humbly. Now, and then it, Psalm 22 talks about his hands and feet being pierced, as, as does Zechariah, who references in his second coming, those who pierced him, seeing him in his second coming, and weeping and wailing because they were the ones who had pierced him. So anyway, there are a lot of stuff about the death of the Messiah. John did not shrink away from that part of the Old Testament doctrine of the Christ, the first coming of the Christ. And John understood that the lamb would come before the lion. So in his introduction, he naturally pointed to the, the penniless, humble carpenter. John himself didn't know. He said, we studied it last couple of times. He said, I didn't really know who, I didn't know him like this. 
But I can tell you God has spoken to me. And God has said that the dove that comes and descends upon him, he is the one. I've known him for 30 years, but I didn't know him. Now I know him. So he, he proclaims the Lamb of God. Okay, so the third day, two of his disciples who have been under this teaching that Israel is not self-righteous. Now this was the teaching of the rabbis. We are the people of the law, of the Torah. We are the people of, of Moses' teaching. We are, we are uh, Abraham's seed. Uh, we, we obey the law. The law was given to us and we're given the strength to obey the law. And we, we therefore have earned heaven. This was their doctrinal persuasion regarding salvation. John didn't take that road. He said, no, you're not. You're sinners. You need to repent. You need to confess your sin. You're not ready for the great Christ of God, the Messiah, to make his appearance. He's coming. He's even at the door, but I'm telling you, you're not ready. And so they were humbled. Well, his disciples would have understood that self-righteousness is not the tool for salvation, for personal salvation. You can see how the disciples of John the Baptist had been prepared for the Christ who would first be introduced as the Lamb of God. Okay. And having looked, now this is the third day, and having looked at Jesus, okay, he's standing there, he's chilling out with two of his disciples. Having looked at Jesus walking, he said, behold the Lamb of God. Now this, to introduce the Christ And to introduce him meant to introduce the failure of self-righteousness, the need for a savior, and that that savior would be found in Messiah, and then Messiah must first be considered the Lamb of God. So, he's, when, he, when he gets people to understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God, John's job is over. That's it. It's not his place to continue in New Testament doctrine. You don't have a New Testament letter or a New Testament book written by John the Baptist. You have five written by John the disciple, the apostle, but nothing by, because it wasn't his place to go that deeply into the New Testament. His, his place was to introduce the beginning of all of it of course, found in the person of the Messiah to be understood first and foremost, in this case, at this time, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And his two disciples heard him speaking and they followed Jesus. Well, now, this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it, but here's what I see in this thing. His two disciples would look at John the Baptist and they would say, Rabbi, let me get this straight. We've been sitting at your feet. We've been learning the Old Testament doctrine. And you have been careful to delineate to us something that other rabbis just don't do, which was to show us the difference between the Messiah who comes as a suffering servant, a lamb, and the Messiah who comes as the great king, all the same person, 
but with a great task that only the Messiah can accomplish. And what you're telling us is, he is him. <laughs> well, John the Baptist would have agreed with that. And I would expect at this point, John the Baptist would have said what we have recorded in another gospel. He must increase. I must decrease. So John did such a great job fulfilling his ministry that his disciples will leave him, some of his disciples will leave him to go to Jesus, the one about whom John the Baptist had been teaching. Now, I'm sure John the Baptist also shared with his disciples that God had spoken to him and revealed to him and that John's job was to reveal to Israel her Messiah. So these two disciples heard him speaking and followed Jesus. Well, he could have said more than just behold the Lamb of God. He could have, he could have turned around and said, listen guys, now we know, we'll see, this is Andrew and John. John won't name himself in his gospel. He calls himself in the third person or whatever. He doesn't call himself by his name. But we know from putting it all together, it was John. This is Andrew, the brother of Peter, and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So these were the, these were the two, heard him speaking. There probably was a conversation, and, and in the conversation, John the Baptist probably would have encouraged, he's the guy. I've taught you all I can teach you. That is the son of God. Well, who would you rather follow? John the Baptist or the son of God? So here's what happens. Having spoken with John the Baptist, now they follow Jesus. John the Baptist points people to Jesus. Based on Old Testament doctrine of the Christ. Then Jesus, having turned and having beheld them following, said to them, what seek you? Now you're going to see in this context that we're looking at today, it will be revealed the omniscience of Christ as far as it was within the will of the Father. It was within the will of the Father, of course, to know people, to know many things. So here within the omniscience of Christ, he asks a question, realizing that they are seekers. And they said to him, Rabbi, which is being translated is, to, which being translated is to say teacher. Now let me point out, when I translate, put it all together, I left out the closed parentheses. So sue me. But it should be, I hate when that happens. It should be at the end of teacher in the English translation of the Greek. All right, so I've covered myself on that. They called him teacher. So they are taking the part, they're, they're assuming the position of disciples, learners. 
They know what that's like having been disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist will have made them realize that there is so much more to learn from him than from me. So they go and they call him teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So Christ extends an invitation, knowing already that they are after him. So they went out and saw where he abides and they stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. Now we know that we know that detail because John himself, who is writing this gospel, was there. He was one of those two. He said, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. It was the time of year where it gets dark earlier. So they would, they would have stayed with him that whole day. Into the, in other words, they would have spent the night there. And what do you think they were doing? Now, if... If you were invited to spend the night with Jesus, the Son of God, would you, just, would you just go crawl in bed and go to sleep? No, I don't think so. Whew. We would sit down and I'd let him do all the talking. And I would just say, tell me what I need to hear. Now, so they go, and now Jesus begins to reveal things. It was, it was the ministry and teaching of John the Baptist to delineate in the Old Testament doctrine of the Messiah, to delineate the truth of two comings. The first coming as a suffering Lamb of God. The second coming as the great King of Kings. It was his job to tell his disciples, listen, the Messiah serves two roles. He serves the role of a suffering lamb of God and he serves the role as the king of the eternal kingdom. But the rest of those facts were a mystery. It was the teaching and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. What did he teach the multitudes when they came? You know, he sat them down and he taught them. What did he do? He taught them that this was the first coming. He taught them. Matter of fact, he gets to the end of it and he finally tells them, I'm going to, listen, I'm going to be crucified. These people and these people and those guys are going to take me and they're going to turn me over and they're going to kill me. Well, that's in accordance with Daniel chapter 9. That shouldn't have been any great surprise that Messiah would be murdered and Daniel would go on and say, and when he was murdered, he didn't receive anything. That is to say, he didn't come into his kingdom on earth at that point. This would be, this, it, was the, it was the teaching of Jesus to make them fully understand. It was easy to understand the glory of the second coming. But people were in denial of his first coming. So this would be, this would be a great part of the teaching of Jesus. So maybe it was that he followed up on that. Let me tell you about the, let me tell you about who I am and, and what's happening here. You know, that, that makes sense to me. Simon Peter was the brother of Andrew. They stated, it was about the, okay, four o'clock. Now, 
Simon Peter was the brother of Andrew, one of the two having heard from John the Baptist. John the Apostle being the other. And having followed him. He first finds his own brother, Simon. And he says to him, we have found the Messiah. Yes. Okay, so it's in here, Tom uh, Messian, the Messiah. Okay, that's a transliteration of the Old Testament word for Messiah, Mashiach, the anointed one. Now that, that becomes Christos in the Greek. So here we have found the Messiah. Now when he says that, when Andrew says that to his brother, Peter, Simon, Peter, he's referencing the Old Testament teaching. So we're, we're shown here that they were expressing how they, they had actually, actually found the one written of in the Old Testament, the promised one, the Messiah. But then we are given the Greek New Testament equivalent, which is Christos or Christ. Now, we have found the Messiah, which is trying to, he led him to Jesus. The first Disciple of, now they're not apostles yet. They're, the, the bunch is still being built, their number. But they are disciples. There are many disciples in the New Testament, only 12 apostles. So they're disciples here. And they've been taught all night by Jesus of Nazareth. And that was on top of the teaching of John the Baptist for I don't know how long. In his presence, they realize we have found the Messiah, the promised one of the Old Testament, which is translated Christ. He, Andrew, led Simon Peter, his brother, to Jesus, all right? Andrew is the first disciple of Jesus in the New Testament, along with John. Here begins, in another sense, the Christian story. What do we do with the truth of the discovery of the Son of God? In true kingdom Christianity, we tell others. John the Baptist was overwhelmed now with the truth of Jesus. His two disciples overwhelmed that they could stand in the presence of the Messiah. When you are overwhelmed with Christ, you have to tell others, especially those closest to you. In this case, it was his brother, Simon Peter. He led him to Jesus. Now, having looked at him, Jesus said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Kephas, 
which means Peter, Petros. Okay. This is another truth of the Christian era. According to the direction of the Holy Spirit in the work and life of another, I am brought, I am led to Jesus. When I come to Jesus, there is a truth and it is found in this sentence. You are, you will be. You are now Simon, the son of John. But you're going to change. You will be called Kephas, which means Peter, Petros. The great story of that word, that name, is in Matthew 16. They come to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a city built by stones that had been hewn out of a great foundation rock, just one big giant rock that was at the base of a mountain. And so the stone workers would cut building stones, big stones, and they would build the buildings and some, th these, some of the buildings were bigger than others, but they all were made out of the rocks that were hewn out of the foundation rock. In the Greek text, the foundation rock is the Petra. The individual stones, each one is a Petros. In that story in Matthew 16, Jesus asks this question, who am I? Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Well, you're, you're this prophet of that, you're somebody come back from the dead and all this. But who do you say that I am? Silence among those disciples until Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, Caesarea Philippi was scattered with temples to gods and goddesses, all of whom are dead, lifeless. Peter's proclamation against the backdrop of all of the paganism of the world was this, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, which meant he was deity, he was partaker of deity, son of God. Christ responded, you are Petros. You see, he said to him, you will be called Cephas, which is Petros. Peter made this great exclamation when Jesus said who do you say that I am you are, you are the Christ the son of the living God Jesus said and you are Petros you're a building block there are a lot of us you're a building block and on this Petra on this foundation what is the foundation what he just said you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So the Petra is the great proclamation of the Christ of God. And the one who makes that 
is part of whom he has described and he becomes a Petros. So this is what now, let me tell you something. From the time, from the first day that Simon Peter becomes a disciple until the day after the crucifixion and then to the day of Pentecost, a lot of stuff's going to happen to this guy. A lot of it ain't too pretty. It's disgusting, some of it. Cursing and swearing, denying Jesus. But before all of that happened in Luke's gospel, it was to Peter whom Christ went and he said, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. He has been granted that permission. But when all of this is over, Peter, when all of this is over, strengthen your brothers. Boy, Peter was sifted, wasn't he? Sifted like wheat. But then, after all of that set of circumstances were over, was over, Peter was never the same. He was a rock. A rock. Here's the deal. You come to Christ. Christ calls. You'll have to come. And Christ will make you all over. He will make you into something you would have never dreamed you could be in serving Christ. This is part, this is part of the Christian life, the Christian story. You are, you will be. On the next day, okay, day four. On the next day, he desired to go forth into Galilee. He desired. This is the sovereign will of God the Son. In obedience to the will of God the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he finds Philip. Jesus says to him, now this is in the imperative. Follow me, it's a command. Follow me. You don't, you, you, you cannot Refuse the command of God. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, from the city or village, it's a small place, of Andrew and Peter. Probably knew each other. Now, now, so what happens? The one whom Christ has called, he finds another one. This is the Christian story. Nathaniel. And says to him, we found him. We have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law, also the prophets. We have found Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. We found him. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. And we found him. He's the teacher. He's the rabbi. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the main character of the Old Testament. And we have found him in the person of Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. And if we sing all of that that quickly, we will be into the third 
There we go. Okay, all right. And Nathaniel said to him, is any good thing able to be out of Nazareth? Nazareth had a, obviously, but actually he was out of Bethlehem. If it had been said, well, he's, he's of Bethlehem. They would have known, son of David, you know, out of Nazareth. Philip said, come and see. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. And he says concerning him, behold, truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words, Nathanael is the real deal. Nathanael never trusted his own self-righteousness. He was humble before God as best he could be in his day. And Jesus saw that in him. Jesus saw a vessel willing to be emptied so that God could fill it up. Now, Nathaniel says to him, from where do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip calling you, so Jesus knew that Philip went to Nathaniel. Jesus wasn't there physically. Before Philip ever called you, I saw you under being, existing. I saw you under the fig tree. That's where you were hanging out. That's just where you were. Now, Jesus wasn't there, and it might have been Nathaniel's favorite place to meditate and pray. I don't know. Nobody else knew he was there but Jesus. It was before Philip started calling out to him, his, his favorite fig tree. Jesus said, look, before Philip was calling you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are king of Israel. So now all of these titles, just in this text we've read today, Lamb of God, Messiah, the Christ, son of God, king of Israel, the one of whom Moses wrote and the one of whom the prophets wrote, the embodiment of the Old Testament, all of these things just in these couple of days, by those first disciples, profoundly, immensely effect, affected by just the mere presence of Jesus. You are. Nathaniel had to have thought to himself, nobody knows that I, I, I'm under that fig tree. That's supposed to be a private place, man. I, you are the son of God. I saw you there. The omniscience of the Christ. So he says to him, son of God, king of Israel. Now, and Jesus responded to that. Said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe you will see greater things than these. You will see lives changed. 
you will see storms stilled. You will see demons cast out. You will see the sick healed and the dead raised. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the mute will speak. You will see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. You will see greater things than these. And he says to him, truly, truly, I say to all of you, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now that's from Genesis 28. Jacob, Jacob was leaving Beersheba and he was headed to Haran. Night came, he got sleepy, laid down, found a, found a rock to lay his head on, went to sleep, had a dream. This was his dream. He saw a ladder set up from earth to heaven. The angels of God were ascending and descending on that ladder. Then he heard a voice speaking to him and he said, I am Yahweh. The God of your father Abraham and Isaac. The land upon which you lie, I give to you and to your descendants after you. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and they will sprawl out to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Christ says, that's me. I will ensure the salvation of weary travelers. He was afraid of Uncle Laban. I will ensure the deliverance from fear to all those who come to me. I will fulfill the covenant. All Israel will be saved. And through Israel and the descendants of Jacob who is Israel, through his seed, not only will I save Israel, but I will reach out and I will save everybody from every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation who are called and who will come to me by faith. This is what Jesus is saying. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. Maybe you're here today without Christ. God will reveal that to you. This is the invitation. If you would come to Christ by faith today in the act of standing when we stand in just a moment, you come, take me by the hand, just say, Pastor, I want to be saved. 
Maybe you're here, you're already a Christian and God leads you to come into the body of this church. You come, I'll share that with me. We'll take care of all the details. Maybe having been saved, you want to follow the Lord Christ in baptism. You come. Now you can do that publicly in just a moment when we stand and sing. But if not, and you have questions and you want to settle that Otherwise, we have deacons and wives in the room right across as you exit. Just step in there and they'll pray with you and answer your questions as well. Father God in heaven, bless this time, O Lord, and use it as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, okay?